The following Dharma talk was given for the Insight Meditation Community of Charlottesville, Virginia. Please visit our website at imeditation.org. So tonight I want to um, talk about what I might term beneath the turbulence. And all of us, whether you've been meditating for decades or just started, or just beginning to be interested, um, there's a turbulence in the mind and body when we sit down to practice that unfortunately knocks a lot of people out of the game. They never really experience the fruits and benefits of meditation because this crazy mind and everything that's happening just seems overwhelming. And they either feel, I can't do this, or they're so amped up that they, they give it up in a short period of time. Now the Buddha, in his, in his great pedagogy, you know, he offered a path of practices and perspectives to help us work with that turbulence and actually develop and navigate a pathway to greater stillness, peace, healing, understanding. Um, You know, and the turbulence he referred to as the eight worldly winds. They are gain, and loss. These are all experiences we've had. Gain, loss. Sometimes we've had status. Maybe sometimes disgrace. Sometimes we've been praised. Sometimes we've been blamed or censured. Sometimes we have pleasure. Sometimes we have pain. All of this is kind of whipping around. Nothing stays still. You know. So, meditation teachers and long-time practitioners have their techniques. You know, favorite techniques or secret sauce for kind of um, uh, finding ways to move beneath this turbulence. And so tonight I want to share what uh, some perspectives and ways that have been really meaningful to me uh, over the years of exploring this contemplative art. So how we can conceptualize and work with these worldly winds. I want to read to you uh, a portion of a, of a sutta. These are words of the Buddha. It's called the Loka Vipati Sutta. And he says this. Monks, these eight worldly conditions spin after the world. And the world spins after these eight worldly conditions. Which eight? Pleasure and pain. Gain and loss. Status and disgrace. Praise and blame. These are the eight worldly conditions that spin after the world, and the world spins after these eight worldly conditions. 
for an uninstructed, run-of-the-mill person, there arise gain, loss, status, disgrace, censure, praise, pleasure, and pain. And for a well-instructed disciple of the noble ones, there also arise gain, loss, status, disgrace, censure, praise, pleasure, and pain. So what difference, what distinction, what distinguishing factor is there between the well-instructed disciple of the noble ones and the uninstructed run-of-the-mill person? Goes on to say, the uninstructed run-of-the-mill person welcomes the arisen gain and rebels against the arisen loss. They welcome the arisen status and rebel against the arisen disgrace. They welcome the arisen praise and rebel against the arisen censure. They welcome the arisen pleasure and rebel against the arisen pain. As they are thus engaged in welcoming and rebelling, they are not released from birth, aging, or death, from sorrows, lamentations, pains, distresses, or despairs. They are not released, I tell you, from suffering and stress. He goes on, the disciple of the noble ones does not welcome the arisen gain or rebel against the arisen loss. They do not welcome the arisen status or rebel against the arisen disgrace. They do not welcome the arisen praise or rebel against the arisen censure. They do not welcome the arisen pleasure or rebel against the arisen pain. As they abandon welcoming and rebelling, they are released from birth, aging, death, from sorrows, lamentations, pains, distresses, and despairs. They are released, I tell you, from suffering and stress. This is the difference. This is the distinction. This, the distinguishing factor between the well-instructed disciple of the noble ones and the uninstructed run-of-the-mill person. That equanimity of kind of meeting whatever the condition is without grasping or thrashing and trying to push away. So these eight worldly winds that all of us encounter on a almost moment-by-moment basis, that's where the rubber meets the road in a spiritual practice. How are we going to work with these? You know? So let's, let's do a short reflection on these worldly winds and then I'll talk a little bit about how to work with them. So you might just kind of recompose yourself in your meditative posture. Close your eyes. <clears throat> Take a few deep breaths. Re-inhabit your body. Sit. 
So we'll look at pleasure and pain for a few minutes. And the Buddha said that pain is certain, suffering is optional. So bring to mind any of the pleasures that delight you. Is it something in nature, a sunset, music, food, lovemaking, fragrance of flowers? How do your senses dance with delight? See if you might be able to kind of conjure those feelings and pleasure. It's part of being alive. And continuing, now we're going to switch over, there is pain. And see if you can remember a time and what it felt like when when your body was sore from overwork. or what the generalized stiffness and aches of aging feel like. Or maybe you can remember the last time you were sick. sensations in the body, unpleasant. And of course there's emotional pain. You might conjure a time when you were really worried about something obsessed. The anxiety, the fear. And in the Buddha's teachings, he emphasized that the ephemeral nature of pleasure and pain They're not permanent. Like everything else in this creation, they come and go. The point that he makes, continually made in his 45 years of teaching was that, hey, try to, try to not grasp so tightly to pleasure. It's going gonna, it's gonna to change and disappear. 
And don't thrash around so much when things are difficult. See if you can just allow it to have its, its flow. Because that grasping just, or pushing, it leads to more pain, greater suffering. And so the wise understanding that you, that you develop through practice, and a lot of practice is just watching change on all the levels, internal, external, is that there's this eternal ebb and flow between pleasure and pain. So we feel them deeply, but, not, but with open hands, not squeezing tightly. And now gain and loss. And the Buddha said, you only lose what you cling to. Gains and loss everywhere. The Red Sox won the World Series again. The fourth time in 14 years. But for 86 years before that, they lost every single year. Gain and loss. But think of your own life. The actual amount of gain and loss is staggering if we contemplate our lives. Just ponder for a moment now. Reflect on the relationships gained and lost. Friendships and loves cultivated. Friendships and loves lost. Gain and loss. You know, can look simply at our finances. How they've, through a lifetime, have kind of Gained and lost. You know, your Beanie Baby collection or your Hummel collection or even your baseball collection, all those collectibles like that have now plunged in value. So this gain and loss, it's with us all the time. It's like being on a a teeter-totter. You're up, you're down, you're up, you're down. But as we gain or as we lose, it's a superb practice opportunity for not grasping. This is the nature of things. And now moving on to praise and blame. Blame sometimes referred to as censure. Even as a solid rock is unshaken by the wind, so are the wise unshaken by praise or blame. The Buddha. 
the wise, unshaken by praise or blame. You know, those two are paired together and they demonstrate, the, the, or the Buddha um, liked to pair them to show how other people influence your lives. Of course, we're, we're mammals, we're herd animals. We, we need each other's company and a measure of inclusion for our health, acceptance. So let's consider some reflections on praise and blame. First start with moments where you received praise. Think back. Maybe parents, if you were lucky, or a teacher. or someone that was over you in your job, or a partner, friend, or significant other. Think of some moments of praise. What did that feel like? Feels really good, doesn't it? And, but it's not permanent. And so with the moments of praise that we've experienced in our life, there are moments of blame or censure. Think of your parents. situation or your partner praise and blame And now, finally, fame and shame, or status and disgrace. And they're paired to, they, they are paired together to kind of demonstrate your fears around social acceptance. Everyone has them. It's a strong survival energy. We all want to be accepted in the tribe, in the pack. But fame, I mean, think about fame, if there have been moments of fame in your life. Was there an inflated energetic to it?
Can you, con- can you conjure up a moment of fame? What did that feel like? Can you detect the inflation? Or the intoxication even? So now turning to the flip side and bringing attention to a moment or some moments in your life when you've maybe felt disgraced, embarrassed, humiliated, inferior in some way, not good enough, defective, all those flavors of shame the deflation, contraction, and fear of shame marbled through. And so now, open your, open your eyes. These are the worldly winds, and in our practice, we're asked to first recognize what is happening. Are we inflating, deflating? You know, what's, what, what's the turbulence that we can identify? Because in that moment of identification of what it is, the recognition, we are not identified with it. Not as much. That's the beginning of freedom. But if we're not aware, if we're not mindful, of what these energies are passing through, well then we're just kind of controlled by them. You know, and these energies buffet the lives of most, most people all the time. So the Buddha's curriculum was designed to, to work with these such that we learn and develop a, now we call it a neural pathway to drop beneath this. You know, and all the mindfulness teachings that are everywhere now are derived from his teachings. So we've got brain science and we've got 2,500 year experiential, you know, vectors crossing one another. So the, the perspective that I found so helpful in my practice is that all these worldly winds, all this turbulence, are survival energies. That's what they are. And that's the key. Whether you're in the throes of some desire or wanting, you know, that's just insistent, 
or some form of aversion, you know, has you. Fear, anger, guilt, shame. Those are the forms of aversion. Or you're just buffeted by restlessness and worry or excessive planning over and over again, you know. Or maybe you find yourself sinking into a dull state, kind of, it's called torpor in practice, you know. Or maybe you're paralyzed by doubt. But these are all survival energies, and I'll explain a little bit. They originate in deep in the brainstem. They're not going to go away. They're not going to be meditated out or medicated out. You know. <clears throat> so the Buddha wanted his, his students to develop a healthy relationship with these energies. You know. You know, so that they're, those students are more and more able to kind of drop into uh, the calmer waters below the turbulence. You know. You know. But for me, it all starts with developing appreciation for these energies. You know, they're there. They're trying to help me. They're trying to um, give me greater security or comfort or connection in some way. They're not the enemy. You know, the energy of desire for whether it's a thing or a person or whatever, it's simply an energy. It comes and it goes. Now the desire may or may not be skillful. You know, but usually it's trying to do something for me. Build resources in some way. You know? So wise discernment always needs to be applied whether we, whether we follow any of these things. That follow your bliss often might not be too wise. You know? So and likewise, all the, all the aversive energies, anger, that protects us. When we're angry, in some way our organism is, is kind of creating this wall and maybe lashing out to protect us or protect others that we feel are, are in danger. You know? Fear, that's an alarm bell, wants to keep us safe. We notice, oh, look, I'm afraid when, one for one reason or another. Guilt and shame, you know. Guilt and shame are, des are designed in a way to keep us as acceptable members of the tribe. You know, we do something that's like, oh, harmful or weird or whatever. We don't want to do it again. We feel like guilty or bad or shameful. And that's the survival energy of, hey, you got to watch your P's and Q's so you continue to be accepted in this tribe. Because in the brainstem, eons ago, our relatives, if you were set aside from the tribe, that was it. You were somebody's lunch. You know? It's not the case now, but it's still in us and it's not going away. You know? And so this restlessness, worry, the planning, planning, planning that we do, well, that's survival-oriented. It's really, you know, obvious. We're trying to map out a mistake-free existence. 
you know, that for the future, that completely ensures our comfort, our safety, and a long life. That's survival stuff. Of course, we know that, but if that's running amok and it's never tempered in any way, it makes us sick. It's like its intention is beautiful. But if it just, if that's what it's doing all the time, then we get sick. Anxiety breaks down our body and then everything, you know, comes with it. And this, you know, periods of dullness and torpor and sleepiness, wondering, well, I get enough sleep, what's going on? Well, that's oftentimes the organism wanting to protect us from feeling something that's difficult. So we just nod off. You know? It's, protect, it's protecting us. But it's not very wise. It's not a good long-term solution to just nod off when something needs attention. Whether it's difficult emotions or a situation, you know, and it takes courage and to turn toward and face. But going to sleep, our organism is kind of protecting us. And doubt, you know, when we're just riddled with doubt, oh, well, I'm not going to try this or I'm not going to do that, it paralyzes us. But from the organism's narrow perspective, well, you can't get hurt if you don't do anything and you just kind of freeze. I'm not going to try this or I'm not going to do that or I'm not going to extend myself. I'll just be... I just have all these doubts and I won't do anything, you know? So the attitude is key here. And this is what I've discovered and trying to teach and share is that these energies are really lovely in their heart of hearts. They want to protect us. They just don't have a lot of wisdom oftentimes. And if we follow them, we're just going to end up in deep sneakers of one sort or another. So it's when we sit down to meditate and we're like, oh, there's, you know, desire, anger, or we're worried or whatever. If we can recognize, oh, thank you. I mean, I really do appreciate you trying to like line everything up so I'll live forever in comfort and have more resources than, than I can ever use. You know, I appreciate that so much. It's an attitude. It's not like, oh, I can't meditate because my mind's crazy. It's like, the mind's not crazy. It's just trying to help you survive. Each of those things, those winds that are whirring through there, beneath it, it's trying to help us. So I've really enjoyed that attitude of, hey, it's okay, I appreciate it, and if I sit here and this is all that's happening, well, it's all that's happening. I'm going to bring what attention I can to it. You know, if I'm feeling fear, if I'm, if I'm able to recognize fear, well, okay, ah, what's going on? My body, you know, there's, a, there's, an adi- you know, there's protection going on here. Where do I feel it? Can I be with it? with care. And so, as we befriend these worldly winds, then this 
stuff that besieges us when we sit down and try to be quiet. Um, the recognition is first. And then being with it with some tenderness. I bring a little appreciation to it. You know, Today was a kind of day like that where I was noticing. Just things just weren't, they just weren't right. They, were, they weren't the way that I wanted them to be. You know, and there was some worry in there. There was some fear, all this kind of stuff. Um, and it was like, it was like this organism was like trying to get it all right and take care of it. And um, it, it wasn't going to happen. But what could happen was that the recognition of what was going on. Oh, there's this. Oh, I can be with this. It's not any more permanent than anything else. It's all coming through. I don't even have to own any of it. I have to experience it, feel it through, but with the kind of wise recognition, it's not forever. None of it is. You know, the pleasure, the pain, you know, medical tests that might be a little painful or whatever, they're also not forever. You know, <clears throat> you know I, I, the waves and the ocean are often used as the great metaphor for meditating. The connectivity, there's the waves on the surface, you know, that, and being a long time scuba diver, <clears throat> um, I totally love that analogy because it's really true that at sometimes, especially if you're diving in the kind of, not the wrong season, but the difficult season, like if you happen to go to the Northern Caribbean in the winter, sometimes the, the fronts come down there and it stirs everything up and there's a lot of turbulence and it's windy and it's cold. <coughs> and if you're going out on a boat, it's like, oh God, it's going to make you sick before you can even get in the water. And, and there's this feeling, oh, I want to get down where it's quiet and calm. And that's kind of what we feel when we sit down to meditate. That's kind of our wholesome desire is to kind of move to those spaces that are a little more still where we can see and understand more clearly. And so, and we get surprised. I can remember dives where the surface was flat, calm, and you go down and you spend this beautiful time kind of feeling into the water and kind of, ah, the womb of the world and the the, the water like our blood and, you know, the same chemical composition in a lot of ways and, you know, and, and, and then coming to the surface and getting near the surface and realize that a storm has come up. Where did that come from? You know, whether it's lightning and thunder and waves and stuff like that. So it's like, you just never know. You know? So our practice is to, as much as we're able, be with what arises uh, with care, you know. And these eight worldly winds are what they are. They're, they come with us as humans, you know. And so over time, little by little, we train the nervous system to be okay with the vicissitudes of life. You know, oh, it's this, or oh, it's that. Oh, you know, and we're feeling them. 
And as the equanimity, the ability to be with what is, increases, the kind of glide path into those moments of greater stillness becomes more and more available where there is a kind of extended moments of calm, extended moments of a heart open and undefended, extended moments of really seeing more clearly and having insights into aspects in our life, in our world, and, you know, everything around us. And it all comes from this simple practice of mindfulness. Can we be awake to what's happening when it's happening with an attitude and an understanding that this organism loves itself, wants to live forever in comfort and ease, and is kind of running amok oftentimes in our mind. So in sitting down to meditate, we're just experiencing our humanity, our survival energies for a while. And if we're patient enough and diligent enough, over time, we start to kind of slip through into the depths, so to speak, where it's quiet and the currents are nurturing and healthy. And, um, and then we're up in the turbulence again, back and forth. That's the deal. So I've kept you a few minutes longer. Please enjoy your loved ones if you have the good fortune of being with them and share your good hearts and we'll see you next week.